Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If the Bucks start 3-0, does Jameis Winston get his job back? And what's the impact of defensive line coach Brinson Buckner? Has time run out on the Rays finally? And are the Lightning still looking for that defenseman? It's time for the popular mailbag segment where all your questions are answered correctly. On this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Along with producer Steve Versnick, before we get started on this podcast, I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and you get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this podcast, you also get a free audiobook. Now, here's what you do. Go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. All right, so the first uh, few days of training camp is in the books. The Bucks are off uh, on this day as we uh, sit here and, and record this podcast. So, They'll be back at it, of course, uh, this morning. And I think that's it's been a kind of an eventful first week, if you will, with Jameis Winston, of course, having to face the music and talked about his three-game suspension. We learned how Ryan Fitzpatrick is taking the number one reps, how they're going to split those up uh, with Winston really kind of hopping in there with uh, the second and third and sometimes the first group. Uh, some rookies are standing out. So I know there's lots of questions about the Bucks, questions about the Rays and their recent collapse, and also whether the Lightning – as we said, still in it for maybe adding some players. So I'm ready to go when you are, Steve. All right. Well, the biggest question we've been getting from lots of people are, what's going on with Maui? Has he found his hook yet? <laughs> and, of course, when you say Maui, you mean Vita Vea, uh, the number one draft pick, uh, 12th overall by the Bucks, of course, from Washington, the defensive tackle. Yeah, scary moment the other day. I mean, you never want to see players go down, but first day in pads, it was a hot morning. Um, you know, I, I saw many a 300-pound guy, and of course, Vea is 347, but I saw a lot of guys struggling with the heat, especially the linemen on both sides of the ball. I mean, Ali Marpet had to take a lot of fluids. A lot of guys were getting, um, you know, the uh, the water dumped over their heads and, and, and everything. So, you know, when you put those pads on, it can be pretty hot. Now, I don't know that there's a relationship between Vea's injury and uh, maybe the heat or the dehydration, but it looks like a soft tissue injury in that he has a what they're calling a left calf strain, um, and so that's that's better than anything that you would hear like a pull or a tear. Now, I I would say this that uh, you know sometimes there's swelling, and it may take a day or two for them to uh, actually have him get an MRI where they can really assess the total damage. Uh, I I do think that they think it's not serious and that it's not something that's going to necessarily keep him out of the regular season or even, uh, for that matter, we don't know about training camp or, or the preseason yet. But let me just caution you that, you know, because he's so important to what they plan to do this year at defensive tackle, big body guy, a guy that looks like, Steve, he's going to be anchoring, you know, the run game in there. They're going to have a rotation, of course, uh, with Bo Allen and, and Mitch Ryan and some other people to play alongside Gerald McCoy. But, you know, Vita Vea is is a load. He's a force, and he's 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 you know not just a space eater, but a guy who can also penetrate. And it's going to be very hard for them, uh, the opposing team, to to not commit resources to him. And usually, 
that means more than one blocker at times. So they like the way he's picked up their defense uh, and talking to some of the Bucks coaches. They think he's going to be exactly what they want on the inside of that defensive line. And so, you know, even though training camp just started, they like where he's at in terms of understanding what's going on. He's going to have to take some mental reps because, quite frankly, I think, you know, as it is with most of these players when you get a guy hurt, the goal is to, to be full go September 9th when they go to New Orleans. That's, that's the only date that they're the most concerned about. It's going to set him back because he's a rookie and he could use the reps, but he was, you know, he was here for, the, for a good part of the OTAs, most of the OTAs, certainly rookie minicamp. So he got a lot of mental reps that way, but it's unfortunate that they just put the pads on and now he has to uh, you know, kind of take it easy for a while. But um, as, as of now, at least, it doesn't look like it's something that's uh, going to prevent him from playing in the regular season. Well, while we're on rookies, let's talk about some of the other rookies, uh, how they've looked so far in training camp, uh, such as Carlton Davis or MJ Stewart as the defensive backs, Ronald Jones at running back, Jack Cici at linebacker, Alex Kappa on the offensive line. How have they all looked? Well, you might have to run through that list for me again here in a minute, but I'll start with the corners. Uh, I think the guy that's sort of stood out, and, and, and maybe this wasn't the case, you know, during the OTAs, he was sort of a sort of came on late, but that that's MJ Stewart, and he's getting a lot of reps right now, and that's because you know you have Vernon Hargraves who had that gash on his leg early in training camp, and so he really has been unable to practice. So what that did was it, it gave you know a guy like Stewart a chance to to play sort of in the slot in nickel in the nickel defensive package, the sub package, and he is he has been very impressive. I mean. Uh, you know, he, he's kind of an understated guy in that he's, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He doesn't stand out to you physically, uh, although he's, he's, a, you know, he's a, fairly, a fairly good hitter, a, a guy that will stick his nose in there. Um, and he's not, uh, you know, because he's not a big, long guy, you know, you don't really notice him all that much in pass coverage, but he always seems to be in the right spot. And he had an interception the other day. He was credited with forcing a fumble Ronald Jones, although I think Quan Alexander had a lot to do with that, quite frankly. Um, but he has had a, a pretty pretty stellar first week, in part because he's getting opportunity, and that's that's what rookies need. And but yet he's taking advantage of it. So we don't know with Hargraves. We expect him to come back. Uh, Carlton Davis isn't playing as much. I mean, they've been using at least with the first group. They've been using Ryan Smith uh, to play, you know, the cornerback position on the outside when they go to base, uh, or on the outside when they're in nickel with Hargraves out. So we haven't seen as much uh, w- with him with the first group, although he had a really good, um, you know, OTAs and rookie minicamp and things like that, and veteran minicamp. So he stood out then. So I really like. I really think the corners are, are pretty good as far as Ronald Jones goes. Look, Ronald Jones is going to start out, I think, being a two-down back. Um, I think eventually in this league he could play all three downs, but we all know that there are two things that rookies struggle with, especially at the running back position. The first one is ball security. Um, and, and Jones wasn't really necessarily known for being a fumbler, so I don't know that I want to put that brand on him, but what they find out is that you can never be careless with a football uh, in, at this level. I mean, those guys know how to get the ball out if you're not securing it high and tight, and that happened in practice the other day where Ronald Jones coughed up a fumble, and then, uh, you know, and they, and they hit harder. I mean, let's face it, I mean, you got, you know, Six foot six, two hundred and fifty six pound defensive ends that are running a four five forty. So you can get splattered out there. The other thing that that uh, they learn is that you know no matter what they did in pass protection in college, it ain't just one guy you have to worry about. I mean, 
these defenses, uh, they bring some exotic blitzes, and they come from all angles. And there is a, uh, you know, there, there is a way to where if you're in pass protection on third down, you, you know, you're all that's between, you know, the quarterback getting killed or not. And you have to look both inside and outside uh, and also front and back in terms of, of where the pressure may be coming from. And you have to identify that. And then you have to execute the block. And sometimes you have to cross the quarterback's face to do that. Um, but it's not just one, two, you know, which one of these linebackers are coming. It's one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, and you have to make those decisions really quick. because it, And then, and then uh, if, if there isn't anybody coming, if they don't blitz and they just disguise it, you may have to go out and then read the defense and then run an option route. So uh, a lot swimming right now in Ronald Jones's head. Um, he did a little better in pass protection the second day in pads than he did the first. But, um, you know, he, he's got a learning curve. The best thing Ronald Jones can do is when you turn and hand him the ball. You don't have to teach him what to do there. He will figure out how to run to, uh, to daylight. And that's, that's what he's going to be doing best for the Bucks, I think, at least early in the season. they got other third down backs that they can use, whether that's Charles Sims or Jacquez Rogers, um, you know, or even uh, uh, even Wilson, Sean Wilson, the, the kid from Duke who they really, really like. Uh, as far as, uh, let's see, who else do we have on that list? Jack, Jack Cici. Cici. Yeah, he's, he's in a tough battle because the numbers just don't work out for him. I mean, if you, if you talk, take the starting three linebackers, okay, Levante, Quan. And uh, you know, most likely Kendall Beckwith, uh, if he if he gets back in time, and I think he will. So then the backups right now it would be uh, a Darius, you know, what used to be a Darius Glanton, now a Darius Taylor. He's changed his name, t- taking his father's name, uh, and he right now is starting at the strong side linebacker position with Beckwith out, and he could play all three positions. He's a very good special teams player, so he's going to make the the football team. And Devonte Bond was that other guy that played uh, Sam last year as well. Had a lot of special teams tackles, had some penalties, but somebody that they count on to play all teams in terms of kick coverage. Uh, so those two, that would give you five. And then Riley Bulla has gotten some some good reviews. They say that he's uh, really improved his game. He's become more versatile. Uh, has picked things up a lot better than, uh, of course, he did a year ago. Uh, so they like what Riley's doing. And then, and then you would have probably Cici. So... I think it's going to be hard for Cici maybe to make the 57. His goal should be to if you can't you can't make the regular you know 53 man roster. I mean, if you can't make the 53, then you want to be part of the 61. You want to be part of the practice squad. So I think he has a a shot at doing that. But uh, until until you get into games, I think that's where you know Cici is very smart. I think that's where you'll see uh, you know some of those guys start to separate themselves when they when they get to play uh, play against other teams. Yeah, well, Kappa finally, um, I, I got good reports on him last week. You know, they're not exactly sure where he's going to play. I think they'd like for him to be a swing guy. What I mean by that is uh, somebody that can play tackle, which is what he did, you know, in college his, his final year, but is, can also, uh, you know, athletic enough to play maybe inside if you need him. You know, it, these guys that get a helmet on Sunday have to be able to play more than one position, and you have a lot of guys – uh, that can play guard or center. What you need is someone who could hold up inside if they had to, but can also back up either tackle position. And so that's how that's how you not only make the team, but you also get a helmet. And in, in you're one of the, you know, the 47 or so, 46 that they that they dress on Sunday. So they like Alex so far. Um, had a coach mention how good he's looking early on. 
Uh, he's a big man, and I, you know, he has a little bit of nastiness, so he's he's not backing down anybody. He looks pretty good. All right, Ellis asked. I've been reading that the physicality of Bucks Camp has noticeably increased. Do you have the same observation? And what do you see as the possible advantages or disadvantages of this? I don't see that. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about it, and they weren't very physical last year. I think if you're seeing more physicality, it's because they have better players. I mean, it's as simple as that. Bigger, better players. I mean, they have big men. Um, so, so obviously, when you're blocking 347, that's different than trying to block a guy that's, you know, 300 pounds. And, and I mean, that's what we're talking about. You know, you know, Jason Pierre Paul is six foot six. I mean, you have some large men now playing on the defensive line. Uh, you know, Bo Allen, whether you're at 320 something, uh, you know, Stevie, uh, Stevie T, um, is still, is still there as well. And he's another 330 pound, 325 pound guy or 340 pound guy. So, I mean, they, they have big bodies. And I think when you see big bodies, you just naturally think that things must be more physical. And, and maybe they are just because of the law of physics, right? Uh, but in terms of the way they practice, look, the whole idea about practice at this stage of the game, when, even when you put on pads, is, is that you, you want to go hard, but you don't want to put guys on the ground. When, when guys go to the ground, that's, that's when the pileups happen. That's when uh, you know, offensive linemen get rolled up on, and that's how you get the knee injuries and the ankle injuries and things like that. So you can practice hard. You can be physical, but it's what we call pro-thump. You, know, you don't wrap anybody up. You don't take anyone to the ground unless you have a live period. And then that's really what's been missing from you know, today's football, if you will. I think coaches were much more prone in the past um, you know, to go like you – know, I remember – a ton of training camps that they would start first day in pads. Um, you know, they would have a live goal line drill and they put the ball on the two yard line and they'd, you know, they'd run about five plays with the first team and five plays with the second team and so on. And those guys were going hard, you know, and, and that got the juices flowing the first day in pads. They really don't do that anymore or as much, at least their cutter doesn't. And, you know, his reasoning is that, look, um, it really doesn't matter right now uh, how physical you are or how much you practice full speed in practice uh, as far as tackling and hitting goes. What matters is that you have all your best players ready when the regular season starts. So it's about getting guys to the starting line. They figure they know how to play football. And, and there's there's lots of disagreement about that. But you know, all I'll say is that Dirk Cutter is pretty much running the same camp he did uh, when the Bucks went nine and seven, and I don't remember anybody after they went nine and seven looking back and saying, "You know what? I bet they would have won ten or eleven games if they'd have been more physical in training camp." I think they just have better players, and so sometimes, and bigger players, and that may, makes it appear to be more physical. Okay, uh, we have a question about the observations of training camp. How much has Coach Brenson Buckner impacted the defense? Well, I mean, he's going to impact them. I don't know how much he's done it so far because, again, um, you know, defensive linemen don't really do a whole lot. You can't tell a whole lot when they're in shorts. And so they've been in pads a couple of days. What I've observed of Brenson since he got here uh, is a couple of things. One, he has an, an incredible amount of, of sort of street cred, credibility, because he played in this league for 12 years. And I think he was on three Super Bowl teams. Um, and he's a guy that's uh, been successful with all kinds of different pass rushers uh, wherever he's been, uh, certainly when he was with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, so, you know, he, he he walks in the building and, and guys respect the fact that he has been there, done that. Because there's not a lot, when you really think about it, when you think about defensive line coaches around the league, 
uh, or just coaches in general. There's there's some former players, but the really great former players usually aren't looking for a hundred hour work weeks, and um, you know they've usually made enough money to where this this is not the profession they choose when their playing days are over. Uh, but Buckner did. Now the thing I've noticed about Buckner is he adapts sort of his teaching. He's not asking guys to do something they can't do. Um, you know, he's played with a lot of different body types and a lot of different guys. Uh, and so, you know, when he looks at a guy like Will Golson, who, you know, had no sacks last year, uh, but Will, Will has a, some, a certain skill set, he's going to try to utilize that to Will's advantage. I mean, Will's a taller, leaner guy. Um, he's actually lost some weight this year. He got too heavy a year ago. So Buckner has played with guys, you know, that, that had, to, had to find another way to do it instead of just power, right? Um, and, he, and, you know, and Will's not the, the, he's not the fastest guy on the team by any means, but he's got, he's got length. And so I think what I've seen is Buckner uh, really push these guys hard, number one. He's not afraid. He has no sacred cows. I mean, we saw him. We wrote about him jumping Gerald McCoy for, for jumping off sides. So I think so far so good, but if there's going to be a difference uh, as far as the coaching staff goes, I think he's really going to make one. All right, Thad asked, what if the Bucks start 3-0, and the offense is rolling and balanced, Fitz looks comfortable, very few turnovers by the offense, with Cutter and Light's jobs hanging in the balance, if, is it a guarantee that they insert Winston back in the lineup in Game 4? No, I don't see why it would be. I mean – under this scenario that you're just giving me, they're three and zero. I'll even say if they're two and one, having just won, you know that that last game before he comes back. Depending on how Fitz is playing, right? I mean, a lot of you can win games and maybe your quarterback not play great, right? Um, but you're not going to win many if he plays bad. So if they get to two and one, it means he's playing at least okay. And and so without knowing. Just what kind of numbers he put up. I mean, if they won in spite of the quarterback because their defense took the game over or created a lot of turnovers or field position, then then maybe that's a different picture. But three and oh, three and oh on a Monday night beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you would have gone to New Orleans, won there. You'd have hosted the Super Bowl champion Eagles at home in your home opener, beat them, and then turn around on a Monday night in front of the national TV audience and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would say in a short week, which is when Winston will be coming back at three and zero, or maybe even two and one, depending on how you get there, there would be no reason to try to rush him back in in a short week and get him in the lineup to go to Chicago and play the Bears. I would think they would stick with Fitzpatrick. Now, I'm not naive here. Um, first of all, I don't predict that happening. Secondly, you know, Jameis Winston is on this football team. That means he's going to be their starting quarterback. And even Ryan Fitzpatrick knows while this is a a different role for him, and he's seen a lot of different roles. Uh, he knows he is not here to be a starter. He is here to support Jameis. Uh, he's here to be able to play if he gets hurt uh, and be able to practice and be ready to go in without taking many reps uh, during the week. So Jameis is going to be the quarterback, but make no mistake, you know, you ride the hot hand, and um, they'll have to evaluate how Fitzpatrick is playing. Um, but I think it would mean that you're playing pretty well as a team if you get that far. All right, we'll switch to the Rays, and Bob asks, did the clock strike midnight for the Rays? A blowout every once in a while is understandable, but three in a row? I don't think it's just the three in a row. I think it's who they lost to. You know, they lost to the team with the worst record in baseball, and not only that, they gave up 37 runs in the last three games. So uh, clearly the the big culprit was, you know, was the pitching staff, and that's really kind of been the strength or one of the strengths 
I mean, look, they they surprised everybody with both the way they pitched and hit. You know, they were a top 10 uh, team in run score. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. As well, which nobody saw coming. Uh, but the pitching was really what, what sort of got out of whack on this last road trip. I mean, before they went to Baltimore, don't forget, they took two out of three against the New York Yankees. So really no, no shame in how they played coming out of the All-Star break. This has been a team that, for whatever reason, has been prone to really, really bad streaks. And then they've had some really, really good streaks. What they can't do is they can't, you know, win two, lose one, win three, lose two, win four, lose one. They just seem to, you know, win six, lose three. You know, I mean, it's it's sort of been back and forth, and that's why this team's at 500. Um, so I – there is a good question to ask, and I think you have to allow for the fact that we don't know what we're seeing. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, at some point, uh, we're going to find out whether all this usage of these relief pitchers and these openers uh, is going to come back and, and uh, there's going to be a price to pay for it. And, you know, physically, maybe these guys won't pitch more innings than they would have. Uh, but mentally, having having to start games is different than coming in in the fourth or fifth inning, and having to be extended is different than maybe pitching, you know, one or two batters just uh, you know in a matchup situation. Um, so there's going to be this is uncharted water for everybody, and and so I think I, I think it's hard to take any particular you know road series or even as bad as the one that they were in Baltimore and say, okay, this is, this is clearly, you know, the result of, of using all the, the bullpen, uh, using them up in the first half of the year. I just don't think we know yet. Um, but, but I think it's also just the personality of this baseball team. Now there's going to be changes, you know? And so, you know, almost every time that they've done things, you know, uh, everybody's kind of waited for the shoe to drop and say, well, that's it. They're done. Um, but they find a way to be resilient, and whoever they throw out there, they find a way to win baseball games. And it's been the damnedest thing, you know, in the in in the world to kind of watch. You know, you trade Alex Colome and you know all these different guys, Denard Span, and you think, okay, well that's it. But then somebody else steps up. So um, I would say we'll we'll have to wait probably at least well into this next month to kind of know what we're looking at. But then again, it won't be the same team if they make a bunch of trades, which is what I expect them to do. Well, speaking of trades, and in full disclosure, we're taping this podcast late uh, Monday afternoon, so a little under 24 hours until the trade deadline. What's the Rays roster going to look like come Tuesday night as the Angels come to town? Well, I think it'll be different, Steve, but I don't know, I don't know how different it'll be. And, and I, I think the biggest thing is, uh, is Chris Archer, you know? I mean, that's, that would seem to be the guy that, uh, you know, we've heard as many as 10 teams um, you know, he spent his off day in North Carolina. He wasn't even coming back to Tampa. Uh, you know, he said that it's, uh, it's been, uh, you know, sort of, sort of stressful, you know, to be mentioned as much as he has been, um, you know, in trade rumors. And these guys are human, like we talked about the other day. Uh, so I think, 
I think the key would be parting ways with him. They're still in control of him for a number of years at a reasonable price. I just don't know that they, you know, that they're going to get a better deal. Certainly they could wait until next off season and be able to deal with all 30 teams. But you know what? They had that opportunity this year. And I don't think he's increased his value by the way he's pitching. I think he has as high an ERA at this point as he's had at any point in his career. It's, it's uh, considerably over four, I guess, right now. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's, it just doesn't seem like you can bank on it being better, you know, in the off season as far as trade goes. So I think he probably uh, gets moved by, by Tuesday at four o'clock. And then I think, um, you know, with Wilson Ramos, that's a little different story. Somebody will have to take sort of a flyer on him only because, you know, he's, he hasn't, he's starting his rehab stint. He's still coming off that hamstring injury. Now, if you don't think it's long-term and you're willing to, you know, willing to do it, then uh, he'd be a good pickup for somebody. Uh, Maria, I don't see, you know, even though Adamas hasn't played very well, I just don't see how he sticks around. But I, then again, I can't tell you that there's a contending team that's in desperate need of a shortstop. Um, so They may know, those, just DFA Echevarria just to yeah, give they, Adamas they could more do time. That. I mean, you, you yeah. wait to see if you can trade him, and then you may just DFA him. Right. And who else, who else would be in that – Oh, uh, Sergio Romo is a possibility. Uh, yeah, Car- I could Carlos see Romo. Gomez. Gomez, I don't know who would want him. To mm-hmm. be honest with you, I mean, he just—he's not having a good year, and I don't know what he could do for you. Romo, for sure, I could see—I could see a contending team saying this is a guy that you know was a big-time closer, uh, pitched in World Series games, um, still effective because his stuff is is still good enough, and he, and it's deceptive enough with the sweeping sliders and things like that i could definitely see romo getting a get an opportunity you know one name you haven't heard and, and maybe there's not enough interest because he's probably still under team control for a while but it's cj crone who's already hit 22 home runs this year i'm sure there's Man. teams that could use a guy like that that could run into one i bet they could do you think they would trade him and do you think that matt duffy would be a guy that they would consider trading i think everyone's available for the right price with this team and and when you're a smaller mm. market team like this you have to i mean even if it's yeah. your prize jake bowers or willie adamas prospect if the price is right, and that price is very high on some of those guys. But, yeah, I think, I think they'd listen to offers on Matt Duffy or C.J. Crone or anybody else on the roster. Mark Tompkins, Even Blake I Snell. Remember. I think they'd listen for Blake Snell. I don't think they're oh, interested in well, trading him, on. but they would listen. Yeah. I did cost you anything to listen, but you're yeah. going to have to blow somebody away. Well, yeah, I don't see a team. Definitely not at the trade deadline for Blake. Now, in the offseason, right. that's when that deal more likely would get done if you're going to trade him. Mark Tompkin was mentioning uh, the San Diego Padres as as a possible um, landing spot for Archer, and that they had uh, some catching there as well. So they they definitely are needed that, especially if they get rid of Ramos. They're going to have to get a catcher back from one of those teams, whether it's a three. Well, you got deal Michael Perez just, now. So if if you're trading if you're trading Ramos, you still got your two catchers in Sucre and um, Michael Perez. And Perez has been impressive so far. Mm-hmm. He's done very well you know. so far. Interesting guy, Perez has spent eight years in the minor leagues and had a couple injuries and was, um, you know, was a, this kind of was a prospect and sort of off the radar. And I like the way he swings a bat. He's shown off his arm pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, they they definitely would have their two catchers with him and Sucre, but there could be more uh, if somebody were better that uh, they felt like could help them now. And that's the thing. I think they're getting back guys that are, you know. Or could be part of this young core that can that can play in the majors, um, you know, sooner rather than later. It used to be you would get those developmental guys, uh, whether it was Adamus many many years ago. Remember, and they had to wait on him to work his way up, that sort of thing in Bowers. 
but but now it's like it seems to me like they're getting a better uh you know higher grade return on their investment speaking of long stint in the minors and this is off topic but did you see the angels catcher francisco arcias start in his career he's 28 years old he spent 12 years in the minors he's the first player in major league baseball history to collect 10 rbi in his first two games well, God bless him. He waited long enough, man. Exactly. He's like Crash Davis. Jeez, that's terrific. <laughs> so, I thought they threw wicked stuff in the show. Man. Yeah, well, five RBIs in two games. A ten in two. He had six ten in total, one game and yeah. four, yeah, four in another. So, Jeez. just an amazing start for a guy who spent twelve years in the minors. So, just it's pretty cool. Just that's off really topic cool. There. Yeah. All right, for the Lightning, um, um, Anthony asked, are they looking at any other right-handed defenseman besides Carlson? Maybe Tanev or Truba or Justin Falk. I mean, Steve, I'll defer to you, but I, I believe that that you know the defenseman is something that that they are always looking for, and and certainly now they're always looking for defenseman. The right-handed defenseman is is very coveted. Uh, it's it's amazing how most of the the best defensemen are left-handed in the league, and there's more left-handed defensemen than right-handed defensemen in the league. So, right-handed defenseman, it's it's been a bugaboo for for the Lightning, particularly. That's why they have interest in Carlson. I've really always liked Jacob Truba who's in Winnipeg, who says he wants to stay there long-term, but they had to go to arbitration this year for his contract, which generally isn't a good sign for a guy you want to keep long-term, that you couldn't come to a deal first, that you had to go to arbitration. Uh, he won that arbitration deal. So there's there's talk that maybe the, you know the Winnipeg will look to trade him at some point. Um, it'll be interesting what Carolina does uh, with the Falk there um as far as trading and, and where they trade him to could impact a lot of things around the league as well and could impact the Carlson trade too if they decide to trade him Carolina hasn't said for sure they're going to so I think the Lightning are always looking for right-handed defensemen it's definitely probably the weakest spot in their organization um as far as depth and minors and all this I mean they've got some young defensemen coming up but right-handed defensemen you can never have enough of in hockey it is interesting how, you know, these things get heated up and then they kind of abate, you know, and then I guess, you know, as you get closer to whatever deadline, they'll they'll start to heat up again, right? I mean, everything kind of happens at the right, when it's supposed to happen. I saw Elliot Friedman on, uh, I believe it was on NHL Network a week or so ago, and, and just they were talking about some of the trades, and particularly Eric Carlson. He says, I don't believe it was ever that close as it, what had been reported by some people that right. that the talks were ongoing and and there was interest in several teams and and maybe you know offers were intriguing but it was never that close to where it was a done deal as as the uh one guy at TSN had reported that was being called to the league office that you know he believes that it will happen but at much closer to the start of training camp or you know September or maybe even right before the season starts in October sounds good all right, and one final question from Les. What is the biggest takeaway of Tiger Woods' performance in the Open? The fact that he got the lead on the back nine on Sunday or the fact that he choked it away? There was a time Tiger didn't lose leads on Sunday. Does that mean he's back or that he can't win? This is Wes, but I don't think it's my son, Wes, although no, he's Les. asking about Les. Tiger Woods. Oh, oh, Les, good. I, guess I thought you said Wes. Because no. my, my son actually asked me almost a similar question the other day, so it would be interesting if he submitted one. But um, Unless he's Tiger got a fake Woods, Twitter profile. Well, he might. He might have one of those bot accounts. Who knows? Uh, burner accounts. Uh, Tiger Woods, to me, is, I think, having to having to get belief in himself again, which sounds really odd, right? I mean, here's a guy that never lost a lead on Sunday. Uh, he was there. I mean, he, he, he had a one-shot lead, at, I think, after 10 holes uh, in a major tournament, you know, at the British Open or the Open uh, in Scotland. And 
it had been a long time since he stood on on that stage and and i think um you know there was a time when of course you know if tiger woods had that lead everybody else would sort sort of shrink they would be like oh man tiger woods you know i i can't run him down and there was an intimidation factor and now i think you know so many of these guys that never played with tiger in his prime um they meet the challenge they don't you know i think obviously a lot of them got got into golf because of tiger woods and he's sort of their idol in a way um but they didn't get to see him when he was tiger woods but but for for tiger i think he just has to learn and gain confidence that he can finish it again it's weird that again that you would say that about a guy that's won as many majors but it's just been so long his game is coming along i mean i think i think he's proven he can contend he's been there on a sunday now in the major he hasn't won a tournament yet i think I think winning anything, winning a tournament would really help him just to get that feeling of, you know, finishing, um, you know, in, on a Sunday. But um, I, 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 don't, I don't think blowing it was the big deal. I, I think that, you know, I think the bigger deal is that, that he had a one-shot lead on the back nine on a Sunday. I, I don't think – look, nobody – when this season started, we didn't we hadn't seen Tiger Woods put two tournaments together and, and, and make the cut. You know what I mean? I mean, think about how far he's come. And when he when he finished second of Alspar, it was it was front page news. So you know that was the start of the golf tournament, and here we are, the guys you know standing there with a lead on a Sunday in a major. That's a huge leap from where he was when the when the year began. And we haven't heard anything about him having recurring injuries or you know having to take more time off because he's you know he he can't he can't hold up physically. To me, that's the biggest thing. If he can stay healthy, um, he's not getting any younger, but if he can stay healthy the way his game's coming around, I think he has a chance. Look, I think he's back, but it's 42-year-old Tiger Woods that's back. He's never going to be the 22-year-old Tiger Woods. I mean, you know, everyone compares him to Jack Nicklaus, okay, who won 18 majors. He won one major after the age of 40. Yeah, and he was 46. Yeah, at the Masters. Yeah, so I mean – you know, you're so, you're at 42 now. He's going to be 43 in December. Tiger Woods will be right. He's, he's right. probably at most got one or two more majors left in him to win. Agreed. And and with his injury history, maybe not even maybe it's zero. Maybe not that. Yeah. Um. But you know, he's playing the best golf we've seen him play in years. And as you said, the, the injuries don't seem to be recurring at this point. Which you know, every time he was coming back previously, it was you know a round or two in or a tournament or two in, and then all of a sudden he's hurt again. Um, you know, I think he's back, but it's 42-year-old Tiger Woods that's back, not 22-year-old Tiger Woods. We're never going to see that Tiger again. Right. And no, as you said, great, too, that's a great point. the young players never played against Tiger in his prime. You know, I, I remember, uh, this was 15 years ago, maybe even longer, you know, it was one of the majors, and I, I remember I was in an airport watching it, and Sergio Garcia's making a run at him. And he kind of pumped his fist in this, and Tiger kind of heard the roar, and the next – the next hole, Tiger Woods, you know, made a miraculous birdie, and the crowd roared, and Sergio, you know, shrinked away, and the tournament was over. Yeah, you know that well, intimidation about, factor isn't there anymore. It's not, and the thing, even when Tiger was Tiger in his younger days, I could be wrong about this, and I don't have the stats in front of me. He was really, really good when he had the lead in the major. Mm-hmm. He didn't come from behind very often at all. I don't, I don't remember him, you know surging past somebody on a Sunday very often. I remember the PGA um, Championship in 09 was the first time he had led a major after 54 holes and lost. Mm-hmm. That was to Yeah, he never lost with Minnesota. the lead. Yeah. No, he ne- he finished the deal. If he had the lead on Sunday, you were toast. 
for the most part. But I didn't remember him coming from very far behind to win a major. So, you know, look, he stood there again, you know, uh, after 10 holes with a one-shot lead, and he wasn't able to finish. And and, and I think your point is great that, um, you know, he, he is not he is not the – 20 something year old Tiger Woods and, and he hasn't done it at this age and um well, here and, let me let so me let me read you Tiger's won 14 championships mm-hmm. after 54 holes here's where he stood nine shot lead tied for the lead 10 shot lead six shot lead one shot lead one shot lead tied for the lead four shot lead three shot lead two shot lead one shot lead tied for the lead three shot lead one shot lead never came back never trailed after 54 holes in a major and one there you go. He was either tied or had a lead. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that's, you know, so if he's in the mix on Sunday, why would we expect him to come from behind when he didn't do that in his prime? Um, but that said, he did come from behind. He, he did stand there again on, on, you know, after 10 holes with a, with a lead he just couldn't finish. I don't know. Look, I vacillate. I don't know because I don't know if he's going to stay healthy. But I think his, I think his game, especially – around the greens you know i think his game is very very good he's putted mm-hmm. really well um he's still one of the better scramble golfers you'll ever see he can still do that it's just whether he can get consistent with the driver and hit enough greens and regulation and all those things but um i i, I mean you see the game and, and the crowds i mean he's great for golf i just i'm just glad he's back because even with all these great young golfers no one moves the needle like tiger woods even at his age Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, golf has never been more popular than when Tiger Woods was playing. No question. Hey, those are some great questions, and I think you got all the answers you could possibly need because they're dead-on, spot-on answers. And we thank you for doing that. Uh, always a fun segment with the mailbag. Of course, uh, as we do this podcast, we are still awaiting uh, the Rays to see if they're going to make a trade. The trade deadline will be today at 4 p.m. So we're going to have the latest for you on that uh, on Tuesday, of course, and uh, tell you who went, went, went where and, and what they got back in return. Uh, I assume there'll be some, some deals, but maybe even one, of course, as we speak for Chris Archer. And then the Bucks have their second week of training camp gets underway. They had a day off on Monday, so they'll be back at it bright and early at 845 tomorrow. We'll have the latest from Bucks camp and um, tell you who's looking good there as well as the latest update, if there is any, on Vita Vea and his injuries. Uh, and the Rays begin, uh, going back to the Rays just for a second, they begin a series against the uh, the Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whatever the hell they call themselves these days. The Mike Trout. Mike Trout comes to the Trop. You should get out there and see him. The best baseball player, I think, in the game and, and probably the guy that's closest to Mickey Mantle, if you will, without being a switch hitter. He, was, he is a phenomenal player. Uh, to watch if you get a chance to go out there. So lots to talk about this week. As always, uh, we appreciate you guys interacting with us uh, in the mailbag segment. And you can always interact with us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. That's at SportsDayTB. You can reach me at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Love for you to rate and review this podcast. Right, Steve? Absolutely. You can do that anywhere you get your podcast, whether it's through iTunes, maybe it's Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Uh, just uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, do a search for Sports Day Tampa Bay. Hit subscribe so it downloads to your phone every day. Then it will automatically come to your phone so you can listen to it anytime you want. Leave a comment. That always helps us or like it or better yet, tell a friend. And if you have a business and would like to advertise on the show, please reach out to either Rick or myself. Or you can call our sales manager, Monica Boyer. Her direct line is 813-957-0836. 813 813- 
957-0836. You could be a sponsor of Sports Day Tampa Bay, much like Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds does uh, several days a week for us too. So, Absolutely. And uh, for the latest in the raid, Rays and their trades or the Bucks updates at minicamp, check out tampabay.com. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Burstink. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. 